Welcome to the Black Wolf Media Podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Evans. This is a show where we dive into the stories of black entrepreneurs and business owners, and we talk about their brands and entrepreneurship journeys. Let's get into this episode. All right, guys, welcome to the Black Wolf Media Podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Evans. Guys, I got a special guest. His name is Ted Santos. Um, he is the CEO of uh, Turn It Around Investment Partners. Um, Ted, man, if you don't mind, man, can you tell the people, for those that don't know, man, can you tell the people exactly what it is that you do and how you were able to create your own lane? So, you know, everyone says, do you have an elevator pitch? So if I were in an elevator and you asked me that question, I would tell you that I am in the business of producing miracles. CEOs of mid-sized to large companies, they hire me when they are looking to produce a breakthrough and they're not sure how to do it with existing resources. <clears throat> so I work with them to create disruptive strategies. And that usually looks like either disruptive technology or penetrating an untapped market. Uh, either way, it's, it's getting revenue that you would have normally never had. And then I work with them to transform corporate culture so that the organization profitably executes that breakthrough initiative. So um, some people are not clear when I say that, but I, I'm going to I'm going to leave it there first and, and see if that makes sense to you. Yes, sir. OK. Um, so I want to ask you, man, my first question to you is like when you mean uh, when you say, you know, break down corporate culture, what type of cultures do you see like is it always the same culture when it comes to corporate america and how do you break it down and change it in a way to where there's a breakthrough so um i would say no not all cultures are, are the same and then i would say in some aspects yes because no matter which company you go to and i'm going to tell you anywhere in the world and i can say anywhere in the world because I have lived with Mayan Indians in the jungle in Belize with no electricity or running water. I lived in the jungle of Costa Rica. I lived in, Whoa. so I, I lived in Mexico, Acapulco, Mexico. So I've lived in some obscure places. I even traveled to Greenland, man. Like no one goes to Greenland to see icebergs, but I went and I've gone to all these places and many more. And no matter where I've gone, gone, and I, I work in New York City, I lived in Washington, D.C., um, people are dealing with the same stuff. Yeah. We just are. It doesn't matter your race. <clears throat> My clients have been black, white. Uh, I've had Asian employees, Latinos, men, men women. And people have blind spots. <clears throat> they have mental barriers. They have things that they believe uh, and they don't know how to overcome it. And those, those belief systems serve as barriers. And if we look on a larger scale, even an industry can have mental barriers and limits, and they don't see it. Yeah. And I can say that because when you look at disruptive technology, most of it comes from outside your industry. And if you think about... Uh, Apple computer making the iPod 
technically Sony should have made that, not Apple, because that was Sony's business, portable yeah. listening devices. But they just kept making more cassettes and uh, CD players. And, and then Apple comes out with a whole new perspective. And they didn't have the same blind spots and mental barriers as Sony or Panasonic. And they created something and disrupted the entire market. And this happens often. Yeah. So when I'm working with people, I'm working with them to unlearn those, those uh, mental barriers and blind spots so that it frees them up. And they, they, it literally alters the way they see themselves, the way they see uh, problems, the way they see opportunities. Uh, and it, it allows them to be even more effective when they want to navigate through chaos or, or disruption. Yeah. Okay. Um, so before we dig into that, man, I, I thought something that just really caught my attention. You mentioned like living in the jungles um, in, in different countries. So can you talk about that, man? Like, you know, what was that like for you? And on top of that, like, what was the occasion for that? Like, what was going on? So I spent... Uh, I spent about two and a half years living outside the U.S. And I went through eight different countries. Um, I went from all of Central America, from Panama. And I literally went through the Panama Canal on a yacht with some guys. Uh, I traveled, listen to this, I traveled by horse. I traveled by bus from one country to another. So a horse from one country to another, a bus, a boat, a plane. Uh, yeah, that, that's it. So, um, so I, I, I went there because as a child, I said that I wanted to live abroad and I, I wanted to live in countries where they didn't speak English. It was a way, it was a way to see myself that I normally wouldn't. I was born in New Jersey. So how do you really get to know yourself? Put yourself in situations that you could never imagine. And that's what I did. And I just went from one country to another. I wake up sometimes and say, where do I want to go? And I just get up and go. <laughs> man, that's awesome. Okay. That's awesome. Um, okay, man. So to transition a little bit to back to business, um, I want to ask you, man. So how did you get to the point where you were, you know, reaching people um, from like an intrinsic level. So like, you know, did you, was this something that you had to take yourself through as far as breaking mental barriers and just seeing the potential that it could do for people? Like, how did that work? So, um, man, so you really want me to dig deep on that or you want me to get surface? How, how deep you want me to go? Man, I want you to dig deep, man. <laughs> okay. So technically, it started when I didn't even know it started. I was, I was six years old, and I saw my mother run with two broken legs. Uh, mm. It was New Year's Day, and for New Year's Eve, she took, I'm the oldest child of, uh, I'm the oldest of now of four, but at that time, it was only three of us. And so she goes to New Year's Eve party at her mother's house, and I maybe, let's say it's over at five in the morning or something, four in the morning. And she takes her brother home with his wife, drives him home, and she puts her three children in the front seat. And 
instead of waking us up when she dropped her brother and sister-in-law off, she let us stay in the front because she said, ah, 15 minute drive. And man, I wake up and the car is wrapped around the tree. Wow. She fell asleep 100 yards from our house. Like, I guess she got comfortable and relaxed and fell asleep and bang, we hit a tree. Uh, I, let's say probably doing, you know, 30 miles an hour at least. And I, I was just tall enough to see over the dashboard and I watched my mother run home and my father was home in, in like in no time. My father and his cousin took us out and put us to the hospital and I, I still have scars from that now. Yeah. And um, I mean, physically I have scars. So I saw my mother run, I, you know, as a child, I had seen my mother run in the past. And then in the hospital, I learned that she had two broken legs. So that blew my mind. That my mother didn't limp, she didn't crawl, she just ran like she always did. And she had two severely broken legs, a broken arm, and she went home and got her husband. So I was now obsessed. I was thinking human beings must have something really special and they never teach us how to get to it. So I became obsessed with that. Listen, I, I, I'm only five, six. So in high school, I was dunking basketballs. Uh, in football, I played uh, at 143 pounds. I played defensive nose guard. So I spent my life training my body, preparing for how do you run and how do you do things like with that mindset of running with broken legs. Uh, yeah. At nine years old, I started literally studying human behavior. And I, I didn't know I was researching. I was just trying to understand human beings and, and different aspects of humans. And, um, and then at some point I found myself in a, well, I had a, a job as a sales trainer and that was an interesting job because it was the psychology of sales and it was really, how do you deal with difficult customers, right? So it was, it was great sales training and then I took that training and I ended up running a company, a company that was growing so fast, it was falling apart. It was total chaos. It was good problems to have, but they, it was unsustainable. So I, I just, I guess, kind of knew, you know, my, my parents had great people skills. Uh, so I know, knew how to deal with people watching my parents and I understood leadership. And, um, I, I ran that company uh, and turned it around to the point where no more problems. We were actually able to grow even faster. So uh, running with broken legs, that was a, a major point. Studying human behavior. At 21, I lost both parents. And one day we buried them together. And now I'm the oldest of four. And that was the ultimate lesson in leadership because I was 21, my brother was 19, and my sisters were 12 and 16. So you can imagine your mother and father are gone and their parents and their siblings, everyone's distraught. And there's so much that needs to be done. And I had to depend on my brother and I, hell, he was, I had to drop him off. He had a full ride scholarship in football. And I had a 12 and 16 year old sister who I, I needed them to do things for me. 
that you would never ask someone that age. So what I learned is how to lead people in a face of chaos, keep your head straight, and how to coach people up to do things that they don't even know how to do uh, so that they can successfully do it and then build confidence in them so they start to take on other things. So when I started running companies, I had that kind of background and I knew how to coach people up to do things they had never done before. Uh, yeah. And that, that helped me a lot. And then at some point I took a job in a consulting firm that, that focused on transforming corporate culture and leadership. And that, that just gave me like that uh, uh, sharp, you know, that, that, what do you call it? That sniper eye, right? Like yeah. really sharp shooting. It just, it took me to that next level. So then I, then I was definitely qualified to advise CEOs. Man, that is awesome. That's an awesome story, man. So um, I want to ask you, man. So um, seeing that, you know, throughout your life, you've been able to just naturally develop a passion for the human mind, human beings in general and helping people. Um, I want to know, like, is there are there any methods when it comes to are there any methods that you practice when it comes to mindset? Like, is there anything specific that you get up and do daily just to prime your mind for what's ahead? No, it, see, I, I'm going to say something and tell me if it make what, what I say makes sense to you. Okay. Uh, this is about transformation. Once you're transformed, you're not. Okay. Okay. Tell me if once you're, once you're transformed, you're not. Correct. Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong. So it's like once you reach that point where you have completely let go of who you were and the things that you did and you've just reached a whole new another level, just waking up daily to do what you need to do just comes natural. So you, you took it to the next level. What, let's address what I said. See, once you transformation is not a place to get to. Okay. Once you say, hey, I'm transformed, you're no longer transformed because transformation never ends. So once you oh, okay. believe, once you believe you're transformed and believe you've done all you've done all you need to do, you're no longer you just abandon transformation. Can you follow me on that? Mm, I got you. I got you. So um there are lots of things that people believe some things we were told are, are incorrect. And, you know, history is teaching us otherwise. Uh, you know, at one time they believed if man were meant to fly, he would have wings. And right. there, were this, there was this guy named Robert Goddard. Uh, he was an aeronautics engineer in the 1920s. He said, one day man will fly to the moon. And the New York Times heard about him saying that and the New York Times wrote a fairly long article insulting him and saying how he didn't have the intelligence of a child like he was just a fool for saying that. Yeah. And in 1969 they wrote another article to apologize to him. So mm. um so there are things so at, at one time in the 1920s it was people would say common sense human beings can't fly to the moon. Yeah. How do you get yourself out of believing something 
that you can't prove is true or false. And once, but once you believe it's impossible, you just killed off possibility in your life. Mm. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not like you wake up and you like, I'm going to do this exercise. Um, you know, I, I work, I, I literally have thousands of hours in, in training and a methodology that helps you unlock. And so I never stop training my mind. Um, yeah. you, you think about things and you think about whether or not. So once you have the tools, you can think about whether or not what you're thinking is accurate and can you see beyond what you believe. Uh, when you get into an automatic disagreement with someone, uh, and th this would probably help a lot of people, I would say disagreement is a, uh, uh, it's, it's a poor strategy in conversation. And I'll tell you why. Okay. The only reason someone can either agree or disagree is if you literally know everything. Because if I disagree with you, you might know some things I don't know. And I don't even know that I don't know them, right? So right. Here right. I'm disagreeing with you and you are well you know, versed in the subject. And I'm just sitting here disagreeing without having a clue that I don't know about this stuff. Yeah. Oh. So in, when people find themselves disagreeing, a really smart thing to do is stop yourself and ask the person to explain, talk to me about your perspective and learn. Um, international travel is an excellent way to uh, dissolve some of your mental barriers because instead of going to another country and saying, oh, the United States is the best place in the world, go and learn about those people and what they do. Look at how they live and how they think. And instead of thinking your way is better, understand their way instead of disagreeing with them. Yeah. So it's like taking a more universal approach, would you say? Um, universal, what do you mean by that? Um, so when I say, you know, taking a universal approach, I guess I mean not staying in the box of what you already know. So like everything you know in America uh, is not everything that people knows in like, let's say Africa. Right. You, does that make sense? Or, or maybe, maybe there's another word I should have used for that, but. Well, I, universal. Yeah. That throws me off. Uh, but I, I think what you're saying is look at the bigger picture. Is that what right? You're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that I do. Yes. So if you okay. look at the bigger picture, instead of what you know, because no one knows everything. So what you know could be limited and or it could be outdated and you just don't know it. Right. So, okay. so, you know, what's helpful for people is when you meet people who are not like you. And I, it doesn't have to be that they, they could look like you, but they just don't think like you. So people have a tendency to only want to hang with people who think like them and they're, they agree on stuff or have slight disagreements. But if you could spend time with someone who thinks nothing like you, it can open up your, your mind and your, your whole world to things that you never saw. And, and it even alters the way you see yourself. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. All right. 
Um, okay, man. So I, I want to take a, a another transition, and I want to talk more about like the actual business. So um, I, I want to ask you, man, like how when you first started getting your clients, how were you doing it? You know, I I know like you know now you're probably at a point where they seek you, but how did you go out and get your first client? Um, or, or did your first client come to you? How did that work for you? Uh, so my, my first client, actually, I, when I worked for, let's see, <coughs> sorry, <clears throat> my first client was when I left the company I was, that employed me, that uh, trains people in transformation and leadership. I took one client with me. Yeah. That was my first What's good, everyone? If you guys are enjoying this show, please be sure to share this with a friend, family member, or coworker, and leave a five-star review. Now back to this episode. Peace. Client. The second client came as a result of me networking when I worked at that company. So, and then subsequent clients from there was generally with me networking. Um, and then I was I started thinking how everyone says it's so difficult to meet CEOs, especially of significant companies. Like, you know, if someone's doing, let's say, $100 million of revenues, I mean, that's not a huge company, but that's it's a mid, mid-sized company and, and it's big enough and complicated enough that those CEOs are very busy and hard to get a hold of. So, yeah. so I thought, um, I had this client, uh, he was probably doing over, over 50 million, somewhere between 50 and 70 million on his way to a 100. Yeah. And uh, I, I, you know, I had been working with him for a couple of years and I asked him at, at the end of the end of the year in December, I said, how do I double my value to you? And he asked me if I could each month take a CEO out of a significant company and interview that CEO and then come back and tell him what I learned. And he, he said he didn't have time to do that, but I would be more valuable if I could do that. So I literally started doing that. And uh, then he told me he wanted to build a board of directors. He put six people on a board. I placed from my network four people on his board. And uh, one of them was the first black CEO of a major corporation. Uh, he was CEO of Ben and Jerry's. Uh, okay. I had a couple of uh, another former CEO of a, a midsize bank. Uh, and then I, you know, I had some other people who were heavy hitters, you know, uh, finance and marketing. <clears throat> and so I saw how that board was beneficial to him. So I, I thought, what if I could commercial commercialize that? And I created something called the board of veteran CEOs. So <clears throat> instead of me going out and networking at other events, I literally created my own event, own events and they were only you had to be a CEO of a company with revenues between 100 million and 1 billion dollars. So and to make sure it was very valuable to them, 
I invited former CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. So I had former CEOs of Chase Bank, Dun & Bradstreet, Xerox, Harris Hotel and Casinos, uh, New York Life, um, and a host of other companies. And so you figure you get the older, more seasoned, possibly retired CEO of a Fortune 500, and he sits down with the younger, you know, 40, 50, early 60s year old CEOs, and they talk about CEO problems. And it was it was an excellent value proposition for CEOs, and it gave me a huge opportunity to uh, network CEOs and make them my clients. So my answer to your question, I know it's a long answer. Uh, no, you're all right. <laughs> I, I created, I, you know, I, I I took this notion of like people do lunch and learn, and it's a way to net, you know, build your own network, invite people to uh, educational lunch and learn. So I just did it over a breakfast, and it was exclusively for CEOs. Yeah. Okay, and, and so how did you qualify, you know, the people that you were, like? How did you qualify the CEOs that you were? inviting to the event like how did you gauge you know which ones could make it into the event and which ones couldn't uh, are your revenues 100 million dollars at a minimum that's it okay if you're not doing 100 million dollars you can't come in the door okay and what and what was the reason for that amount because uh middle market ceos generally do not, those companies do not have the budget of a Fortune 500 company. So they can't pay uh, a COO half a million dollars with stock options. So yeah. they have to be more creative. The thing is, even though they're smaller, they have a lot of the same problems as a Fortune 500. They just don't have the budget to solve it. They can't pay, there's a top consulting firm called McKinsey. And McKinsey you're not going to hire them for less than a million dollars. So these middle market guys, even if they're doing $500 million, they generally can't afford what the Fortune 500 can. So I thought if I went after them, they have complexity and they may not have all the tools to solve it. So that's why I brought them former CEOs and, and other CEOs who would be their peers and they could talk shop. Gotcha. Okay. That's awesome. Okay. And so once like, you know, what kind of conversations did you guys have? Like once these events started happening, what were some of the conversations you guys would have? Uh, talking about post integration strategies, how, you know, we, uh, a company acquired 28 different companies over, you know, over 18 months. And now you have all these companies from different companies and they're, you know, they have their territorial, right? They're yeah. not working as one organization. So now how, do, so now you're not maximizing the reason for buying all those companies because they're working against one another. So, yeah. so how do you integrate them and become one organization? Um, that becomes a problem. Some, sometimes finance companies may have been dealing with regulatory issues. Um, uh, how do you get your, uh, your top level executives to see that the economy is changing? There's no such, there, there's a new normal thing. The dust is not going to settle and things won't go back to normal. 
capital. You know, how do you deal with those things? Uh, how do you differentiate yourself in the marketplace? Uh, who, do you, who do you want? Listen, I was talking to former CEOs who would have been 72, 75 years old. And when I would talk to those former CEOs, every last one of them, I asked them, who do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> yeah. They would laugh. And they actually answered the question. Uh, so, so they would also ask the younger CEOs, you know, what do you want to do? Like, what's next for you? All right, how much longer are you going to be a CEO? And uh, where do you want to take the company? And so, so those those kinds of questions. Um, you know, how do you brand yourself as a CEO? so that you want to do other things, whether it's run another company or, or just sit on boards. Yeah. Okay. Um, did you ever, like, have you ever had a time where, you know, you had to, like, this might be a weird question for you, but have you ever had a time where you just had a client that you had to let go of? Like, has that ever happened for you? Um, I've told clients that I was going to fire them. Yeah. I, I would say, hey, we need to have a really tough conversation, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about firing you. And they didn't want to be fired. So it was okay. So how do we work this together? Um, uh, I had a client once who was this guy was a, he was a smart guy. He was in his early sixties. He, uh, he was, a, he had, he was a CPA. So, you know, he was well credentialed, but he started working in a very different industry and he had to do more sales was his yeah. production was sales. And every day he went to work and he, he was waiting for them to fire him. He's just waiting. Yeah. And he hired me. And at some point, uh, I, you know, I had a book that I wanted him to read on, on sale, a sales methodology. And he wasn't reading the book. So I said, hey, man, let me see that book. <clears throat> Took his book and calmly walked over to the trash can and I threw it in the trash can. And I said, if you're not going to read the book, he said, you can't do that. I said, you're not reading it, man. So leave it there. He's like, no. I said, look, if you're not going to read the book, I don't even understand why you come to see me. And he's, he got the book out the garbage, said, you can't do that. I'm going to read it. I promise. And he read the book. And uh, in his first three months of working with me, he doubled his productivity. Wow. In the next three months, he doubled that number. And so now, instead of him going to work, worried about getting fired, his company was saying, whatever you want, we'll give it to you. you. You need more support. We'll give you more people. And he actually ended up getting interviewed by three of his uh, competitors. They were courting him. And he chose, he chose one of them. He chose, he left the company. I mean, he was at a, it was a big company publicly traded, but he went somewhere else because they yeah. him a better deal. But he was that productive that he was able and, and you got to think this guy was in his early 60s. So uh, when it comes to transformation, your age is irrelevant. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, 
so like what was the difference between the you know his product his productivity you know at that point in the beginning stages and then the productivity that he had after he finished working with you and got hired by his competitor well you have to figure if you're going to work every day and you're having a conversation with yourself about how they're going to fire me uh this is difficult it's hard uh I go, he goes to see potential clients and things are not working the way they want. And, and maybe he, he goes after smaller accounts. And uh, so that means he has to do even more work. So by working with me and developing a new mindset, and, and I don't want to make it seem, it's not like it's a simple thing that you just, yes. I can do it because I actually dig deep with people and help them understand their mental barriers and why they won't go beyond a certain point. Like this guy was extremely personable. He was the guy in a business deal who could break the ice. Like he get mm. everyone feeling comfortable. Like he would have everyone comfortable, everyone. But then he didn't know how to shift gears into business. So basically what he would do is get everyone comfortable and then he would drop the ball because he's mm. still trying to be this highly personable instead of shifting gears because he's sitting at a table with heavy hitters. Yeah. And he's still being, you know, kind of lighthearted, funny. You know, he, he's he's good with that. He know he's a master of that. So what he and I did was found out why he even started that behavior in the first place and and. Even though it worked, it was a trap. You, you know, I think what was it? Spider-Man said, this is my, my blessing and my curse. Mm. In one, one of the Spider-Man movies, he said his blessing. Uh, I think it was the first one. Yeah, this is yeah. being Spider-Man is my blessing and my curse. Yeah, and, it was the first one. Right. So this guy, his blessing was that he could make everyone get comfortable. His curse was... He all he knew how to do is make people get comfortable. He couldn't he couldn't get the deal going, so he couldn't even close it. Mm, okay. so, so when he and I looked at why he first started doing that, we found out that it was something that happened when he was 13 years old. And once he could see that, damn, I was still being a 13-year-old, even though I'm like 62 years old. When I get put in certain situations, I go back to that day when I was 13. Oh, man. And I get stuck. All I have is one gear. Make everyone like me. And that's it. Mm. So once I got him to unlearn that and gave him tools, this cat could go to the table and he do his, you know, everyone is feeling good. And then he started talking business and people were right with him. So he was able to talk deals, close the deals, and people like they liked doing business with him. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. That's an awesome transformation right there. Okay. Um, okay, Ted, man. So one of my um I'll say one of my last questions, man, is um how can people get in touch with you, you know, whether it be through social media, email, how can people reach out to you, man? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn, of course. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, and I, I actually have a YouTube channel. 
in my older videos, you can find a lot of stuff, uh, videos I've done talking about leadership, the difference between managers and leaders and changing corporate culture and all those kinds of things. Um, and I even did a, you could say a breakthrough for myself because I wrote a book called Here's Why You Can't Find Love. And all the things that I use in business, I, I turned it into a, basically the book is about five women interviewing me. And I'm really yeah. using my methodology for business, but you never know it because I'm talking about relationships, but I'm talking about mindset and how people sabotage intimate relationships. <clears throat> and then we start talking about how do you really create a great relationship, not a good one, a great one. Uh, yeah. So uh, the book can be found on Amazon. So uh, you could find some of my videos on YouTube dealing with intimate relationships and business all, all in one place. Um, and I have an email address, which is T like Ted Santos, S-A-N-T-O-S, at turnaroundip.com. IP is like intellectual property. Okay. Well, there you have it, guys. Man, Ted, thank you guys for allowing me to interview, man. No, it's been my pleasure, man. You asked some really good questions. Thank you for that. Thank you, man. I tried my best, definitely. Um, man, before you get out of here, man, would you mind leaving the audience with a nice message? Sure. Um, <clears throat> I, I want to say all, all the limits... All the limits that you have are technically not your own limits. These are limits that society has imposed on you. And I don't care if it's a limit based on your skin color or your, your gender. The world has told you in advance from a very young age what you can and can't do. And you do yourself a disservice once you believe in those. But once you can start to peel off and see that those limiting beliefs are not real, you can actually start taking actions beyond what society uh, told you to, the ways in which society told you to limit yourself. Yeah, that's solid, man. Like what, what you just said is really making me want to really sit down and reflect. <laughs> Good. That, that's, that's solid. So I, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm going to just add something to this. Yeah, go ahead, man. We talk about the black community and what's, what's missing for the black community is not all these people who have great jobs. You know, that's well done. What's missing is black economic power. Mm. And black economic power, the way you know you have economic power is you start to own natural resources. You own the oil well. You own iron ore mines and copper mines and gold mines and water and land to grow food for your people, salt mines. Like you own these things, which allows you to do a few things, right? You can control the price of oil because if you own the oil wells and then you build the refineries, you're, you're hiring people to work on the oil wells, and that's, that's a lot of different jobs. And if you own oil wells in different places, then you build refineries. Those, that's a lot of jobs for that. And then you, you create, uh, you transform oil into gasoline. So now you have gas stations. You have the black station, right? Uh, 
and you just created this what you call integrating an industry and you can create there are over six thousand products that are made from oil I'm not saying you have to make all six thousand yeah i'm saying that you can make gasoline motor oil transmission fluid petroleum jelly plastics there are so many things and you now instead of saying oh the middle east is raising oil or the u.s is it's like no we have economic power we control the pricing and we hire our own people and we train our people we hire people who are well educated well credentialed and they help us train the next generation coming up that's how you create economic power and you take that economic power you take that money and you start using some of it to rebuild communities or build communities out in the middle of nowhere um, that support your business. Yeah. You take another portion of that money and you hire lobbyists and you, t you ask those lobbyists to write laws that are favorable for your companies and for your people. You want tax advantages. You want, tr uh, you want, uh, you know, better trade agreements with other countries. Uh, and, and now you can make laws that protect you and your community. And that, mm. Now, now you are governing your own community. Instead of someone else writing laws that govern your community, you write the laws that govern and protect your own community. Man, you just gave a whole bunch of game. <laughs> a whole that's, bunch of game. But that's, that's the breakthrough. That's the next level. Yeah. If, if, if we're not having that conversation, then why are we talking? Right. So my, my work and my commitment is, is to transform people so that they can actually charge full steam ahead to accomplish these kinds of things and and work with companies that want to produce these breakthroughs want to be more efficient more effective you know if we're drilling oil how do we be more innovative than even exxon and mobile and all these other ones how do we create our own way of doing things because we have the intellectual capital we have the brain power to do it but we just need a platform that so it can like fully run like a thoroughbred horse. Yeah. Instead of depending on someone else. If you look at the oil industry, only uh, the, the oil industry, only 9% of their employees are black Americans. But it makes sense, right? Because if you're drilling oil, the, the lowest paying dudes are making like 40, 50 bucks an hour, man. So who's yeah. going to give it to? Your brother-in-law who, who's taking care of your sister or some dude you don't know? Yeah. So definitely brother in law. Right, exactly, exactly. Or some guy you went to school with, you know. So these are conversations and I so I I, I thought if I could say last word that would be really valuable to people would be this is the mindset and it relates to the last word you asked me to give, which is people may believe what I just said about economic power is impossible. But that's where you need to start questioning is that is the thought of it being impossible. Is it accurate or did you learn that from music and movies and education system and wherever else? Did you learn it from somewhere else? And did you really check to make sure it's not just some limiting belief? Yeah, that's solid. Thank you. Thank you, man. Hey, you're welcome. My pleasure. Well, all right, guys. Um, that's the end of the episode, man. Again, 
Like Ted said, those guys, man, definitely check him out. Get his book. Um, man, this guy definitely gave a whole bunch of games. So you guys, if you have to go back and listen to this conversation again. But guys, that's the end of the episode. And we're going to get out of here. Peace. Take care. Bye. If you're a supporter of our podcast, then you'll love our newsletter. Every week, we give you a sneak peek in the upcoming episodes and the guests that we have featured. And we also let you know about exciting live events that we have planned for the future. So if you're looking to stay up to date on everything going on in the world of the Black Wolf Media podcast, be sure to go in the show notes and subscribe to our newsletter today. All right, guys, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for sticking around. If you guys really enjoyed this show, please leave a five star review and share this with a friend, family member or coworker. And if you guys have any suggestions as far as what to talk about on the show and who review, please email us at blackwolfmedia18 at gmail.com. Again, our email is blackwolfmedia18 at gmail.com. Thank you, guys. Until next time.